moment. But you know what? I don't know about you, but last night was a very stressful time for me. Can anyone guess why last night was a stressful time for me? Because Ireland were playing Australia. And I spent two hours of my life biting my fingers off. I got to the end of my fingernails and just chewed all my fingers off. It was like, it was like man, this is not a good vibe for Sunday. I mean, really made me sweat. But you know what the cool thing was? was uh, we won. So let's, come, on, let's, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I know we love our soccer team, but they can't even make the World Cup. But our rugby team, everybody, our rugby team is number one in the world. And one of the reasons why I think it's so amazing is because after the match, when they're interviewing some of the players, they interview one player, and his name is Bundy Aki. Great Irish name. Great Irish name. Plays for Connacht from the west of Ireland. And they interview another player called Josh Van de Fleer. I mean, must be from Monaghan or somewhere with a name like that. And the point I'm making is that it's so amazing that as people have come to Ireland and made Ireland their home, Ireland has become better. Ireland has become better, everybody. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you today. Given the fact that a large portion of us were not born here and have come from other places, a message that God put in my heart many, many weeks ago is one I want to call diaspora or the diaspora. There we go. And what I want to do today is something very different, unique, so stick with me. And again, if you're brand new to church or if you're here for the first time, I hopefully will be able to say something in this that will encourage you. But I want to give you a theology for the temporary. That many of you, like my wife, were not born here. You would say you're from somewhere else. Perhaps you carry a passport from another place. Perhaps you have an identification card. Perhaps at the World Cup, you'd be putting on different jerseys that aren't the jersey of the place that you live because you're from somewhere else. And I want to say this to you up front, as someone who's from here, as a born and spread, just like Kerry Goldbutter, Irishman, as someone who loves potatoes with potatoes, with a side portion of potatoes, I mean, that's how Irish I am. I just love giving them chips, giving them mash, giving them gratin, any way you want, I'll eat them. I just give me them raw even. I love me potatoes, everybody. But as someone who's from here and represents this land, I want to make sure that you know that you're welcome to this place, you're loved in this place, and you make Ireland better by being part of this place. Come on, let's give up, let's celebrate that fact today. And I don't want to get political, but if you have found people here not to be welcoming and embracing and grateful here, do you know what? Uh, on behalf of Ireland, I want to say sorry. Because we as a people, the Irish people that is, a huge part of our history, a huge part for almost 700 years of our history has been forced emigration because of less than perfect political circumstances. In fact, you may not know this, but over 100 years ago, one half of the entire population of Ireland either died or left these shores because of oppression and famine. In fact, so, so damaging was that 40-year period that even to this day, this country's island has still not recovered the numbers. We've never surpassed the population number that would have lived on this island almost 200 years ago. We know what it is to leave our country. We know what it is to leave our country in war and famine. We know what it is to have our country taken from us. And we know the importance of when you leave your country 
to be welcomed and find a place in a new country to have a family in the future. But more than just talking culturally, more than just representing Ireland, I believe that God has a plan and purpose for us in this. So whether you're someone who's come from somewhere else to here, or someone like me who's leaving here for somewhere else, maybe you're going off to work abroad as a nurse, or going to do a a J1 thing in America, or you just feel like you want to live somewhere else, whether you're coming to here, or going from here, and however long you're going to be there, I want you to know that your place has divine purpose. Your place has divine purpose. Now, the word diaspora, uh, there's lots of applications to this. The diaspora basically means a dispersed people group. So diaspora is a word that is used to define or to capture a concept to, to, to communicate people who are dispersed from their own homeland, from their own place. And biblically speaking, we see it when the Jews were dispersed from their homeland in exile. We see it again when the church, we're going to talk about today, were dispersed because of persecution. Uh, We're talking about the the diaspora of Irish people around the world. It's just a dispersed people group. And as I was sitting down and thinking about this week, I was trying to figure out how many dispersed people groups do we have in Lighthouse? So pay attention because I'm going to list a bunch of nationalities that have, that have called Ireland home and make up our church. And if we don't mention your nationality, at the end, I'm going to ask you to shout out the nations I've missed. Is that cool? And by the way, if I mention your nation, a little cheer, a little whoop whoop for your homeland. Okay, number one, Nigeria. Bet the hokey lads. Come on, that, that Gilof rice. Okay, Ghana, Congo, South Africa, Brazil, Peru, Venezuela, the United States of America, Canada, Romania, England, Czech Republic. Philippines, yeah. <laughs> India, Woo! Sri Lanka, Mauritius, yeah. Zimbabwe, yeah. Colombia, Bolivia, Woo! Ukraine, Woo! and I said Nigeria was first. <laughs> I mean, half the room is obviously Nigerian, or half the room wants to be Nigerian, but it sounds like things because there was a big cheer for Nigeria. Any other <laughs> Northern Ireland? No, it's one island, Matthew. <laughs> Uh, it's my island and again understand we're one church in two locations so a lot of these nationalities may not be here but are in another location any other nationalities I've missed in this list Cameroon come on somebody write that down I want to make a list of this so cool anyone else anywhere else France of course Germany the Germans are here das ist sehr gut you like that? Willkommen. Any other nationalities? I say Brazil. I better say that because my wife's from Brazil. She could whack me in the head later on. Is there? Anywhere else? Cool. Yeah, of course. Well, Ireland, everybody. I mean, come on. We're here. So good. So good. So. It's amazing that God has brought so many people to Ireland and made so many a part of the family of our church. And I want, you to, I want you to know, this is a good thing. This is a good thing for many reasons. One, you know, having a more diverse culture means we're better at sport. 
Anyone support sport here? I mean, another good reason is because our food gets better. I spent my whole life eating boiled, flavorless, tasteless food. And then I married a woman from Brazil. I don't know which came first, my love for her or her food. They're inseparable. But also I believe the church is richer and better when it's diverse culturally, ethnically, in sex terms, and even spiritually. And so what I want you to see is that maybe in your mind, the reason why you would leave Ireland and go somewhere else, or the reason why you would come here, is because you wanted to make a future for yourself. You wanted to create better circumstances for your kids. You wanted, you wanted to be able to, to work and have, and have opportunity and make money. What I want to say, and I'm going to give you the big point, the main point up front for what I want to talk about today. And this is very clear, and I'm going to explain why I believe this in a second. But number one, you did not come here for profit. Now, in your head, maybe you did. And that's okay. Because like I said, Irish people have done that for hundreds of years. Gone somewhere else to find opportunity to work and make a life for themselves. But ultimately speaking, from a meta kind of perspective, an overarching perspective, you did not come here to profit. God brought you here on purpose. Now, maybe part of the purpose was that you would make a living. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think we all should make profit. It's good to have money and, and good to be generous with money. But ultimately speaking, the main reason for you being here is because God has a purpose. And here's what I believe. When you take hold of that purpose, when you walk in that purpose, when you're living out we call out your extraordinary purpose, then God will prosper you. And maybe you're someone who's come to Ireland uh, with the vision of profiting, I've been wondering what your purpose and struggling for lack of prosperity. Maybe the disconnect for you today perhaps is the fact that the, re- the ma- main reason why you're here isn't for yourself or of yourself or from yourself, but God has called you to this place to make a difference. Now again, we see this. There's so many examples of this in scripture. I want to give you one main one from the book of Acts chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 to 8. And because I'm trying to give you a theology, trying to give you a perspective on this, what I believe is a godly perspective, I'm going to be mentioning a lot of scriptures. Usually we stick to one, but today I want to give you quite a few. And again, if you want to track along, all today's notes are in the Bible app by you version. So if you have the Bible app by you version, you can just click on it, click on more, click on events, find Lighthouse Church Dublin, and all today's notes are there for you. But in Acts chapter 1 8, It's a very powerful moment in the book of Acts. So just kind of give you some context. In the New Testament, we have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that Matthew and John were both eyewitnesses that lived and walked with Jesus. Okay, They were there and they recorded what they saw. But Mark and Luke were not with Jesus. Mark, actually most scholars believe, wrote down Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus. And Mark, even though it's the second gospel in the New Testament, was actually the first one written. Luke, however, did not write down any of the main apostles' eyewitness accounts, nor did he know Jesus. In fact, we're told that he was a historian like a reporter, a doctor, we're told, who was highly
hired by a wealthy man in Rome, this, this obscure gospel message of Jesus Christ, Lord of the world, had spread from Jerusalem all the way around to Rome, and thousands of people in this affluent, powerful Roman city were finding help and hope and healing in the name of Jesus. And this one guy called Theophilus is like, I want to understand, I want to written down, I want, I want to have verified, I want, I want proof as to the origins of this story. So he hires Luke to go back to Israel. It's only like 20, 30 years after it happened. And to interview eyewitnesses and to put together a historical account of what happened in the life of Jesus. So Luke writes volume one, which is the gospel of Luke. But volume two, the second half of that account is the book of Acts, the continuation of the story of how the church went from one man Jesus in Jerusalem to the center of the known world at Rome at the time. And in the book of Acts, there's a couple of really important divisions. What happens in Acts 8? Because from Acts 1, we're going to reference Acts 1 in a minute, when Jesus sends into heaven and gives his followers a clear mission to be his witnesses. What's a witness? Someone that's seen heard or experienced something, Jesus didn't call us to be scholars or to be perfect or to be, you know, some weird denomination. Jesus calls us to just be witnesses, to tell the world what God has done for you and to share that openly and freely with society. And so what happens is, is in Jerusalem, Acts 2 and 3 and 4, people are sharing, people are opening their hearts, amazing. Thousands of people are putting their faith in Jesus, incredible. You know, it's, 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 a, it's wonderful. And all of a sudden, persecution comes. The religious uh, system of the day didn't appreciate nor welcome the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. So they persecuted the early followers. They, they, they persecuted them to the point of beating, public shaming, and even to the point of death. And in Acts chapter 7, we read of the first martyr in the Christian church, a guy called Stephen. He was killed simply because he brought the message of good news. And then what happens is, is that at the back, at the, as a result of this kind of, the back end, the result of this kind of persecution, all the church becomes persecuted to the point where, watch this, Christians had to leave everything they had, family, friends, houses, businesses, and flee just because they were Christian. Their only crime was they believed in Jesus. And so they were dispersed all over the known world at the time. And even though it was terrible, even though it was tragic, and even though it was difficult, there was, there was, there was purpose in their pain. And so the story begins in verse 1. And it's really interesting because the character mentioned in verse 1 is a guy called Saul. Now, if you're new to church or unfamiliar with scripture, this so-called Saul was someone we're told who was an educated religious leader in the Jewish system of the day. And he so hated Christians that he devoted his life to seeking and destroying them wherever they were. In fact, in the New Testament, Acts 7, when it says Saul was, 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 was devoted to destroying the church, that word in the Greek language actually is, like, is the image of like a wild beast tearing into a place and ripping people apart. Men, women, children, he didn't care. He was so disgusted and so hated the good news of Jesus that he was determined to destroy it. Now, some of you know what happens to Saul two chap one chapter later, Acts chapter 9. He experiences Jesus, right? The one who was against Jesus, the one that hated Jesus, the one that persecuted Jesus, ends up having 
an incredible encounter on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. That's why in the English language we have an expression, a Damascus road experience. It's because, because this man named Saul encounters Jesus. Jesus forgives him. Jesus realigns him. Jesus gives him purpose. And his name is changed from Saul to Paul, that is the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament. This idea that church is for good people and perfect people is completely wrong. The church is for broken people, sinful people. The church is for people, the church is for people who don't even like church, who don't even like Jesus. And we're told that in Acts 1, Acts 8, 1 that when Stephen was being murdered, and of course the way they murdered him was they would take him outside the city, everyone would grab rocks, and they would continuously throw rocks at him until he was dead. That's how they killed him. And the one leading that group, the one standing as an authority, giving approval to the killing of a good man, was Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. As a result of this, it's this, this terrible crime we see on that day of grace, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Now, I know that some of us are here, not because there was a great persecution against the church in your home nation, but perhaps because your home nation is falling apart. Perhaps you're here on refugee status because literally your, your whole world, your country is crumbling, as did ours for many, many, many years. And I want to say this for you today. I believe the best for your nation is still to come. That even though evil may seem to prevail for a moment, God is faithful. And he will bring justice to every nation in the world. Including, and it's happening before eyes, in the Ukraine, in Jesus' name. And, of course, to the Russian people who don't agree what's happening. But in this instance, they were persecuted because they're Christians. Verse 2, we're told, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, especially in, in Jewish interpretations of it, uh, if a person was st- killed by stoning, you weren't allowed by the law there to mourn that person because essentially they were a criminal who was, who was murdered. But such, an, such a lovely, good man was Stephen that those who buried him mourned deeply even though it was against the wall, against the law, sorry. Uh, verse three. But Saul began to destroy the church. I mean, it's so crazy. The person who probably had one of the greatest influences on the church and church history after Jesus, his story doesn't begin with like being this nice, holy person. He literally tried to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. What was their crime? Just because they believed in Jesus. Verse four. Those who had been scattered, keyword, what did they do? So imagine, you're at home, it's a Wednesday morning, all of a sudden persecution breaks out and you realize the price for being a Jesus follower is you could be thrown in prison, you could be sued, all your property could be confiscated and you could be killed. And of course, the easy thing to do is just to deny Jesus. I never even knew the guy, right? I mean, which is why Jesus in Matthew's gospel said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. It's not like we can just play games here. If you're a Christ follower, our faith should be so real and so authentic that when it comes to the option of losing our lives or losing the love of our lives in Jesus, it's better to lose our lives. And this first century church, that's what they were like. 
And so as they picked up all they could carry in, in their two arms, children, maybe a few blankets, maybe a few leftover crusts of bread, as they were dispersed to the nations, what's the first thing they did? They didn't ask for sympathy. They didn't look for, for help. They, the first thing they did was they brought the good news of the message. How ironic people arriving off the back of persecution. How ironic people literally with, with all they own in their two arms. How ironic people fleeing their homeland. That the first thing they would do was say, we have great news. Even though we have nothing, homeland, house, job, or income, Jesus plus nothing is everything. And so even as they were scattered, they preached the word, keyword wherever they went. Now, verse 5, we kind of get the story of Philip comes in. This is a, a message another day, but we're told he went to Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah, that is Savior, that is Jesus there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And here's the end result in verse 8. As a result of this dispersion, as a result of God moving, as a result of the preaching of the good news, wherever they went, verse 8, so there was great joy, verse 8, in that city. I believe that God brought you here because God wants great joy in this city. I believe every place God has put you, whether it be school or work, a football club, a rugby club, an online group, even if it's in your cod you know group wherever god has put you god wants you to bring to be a to be a how would you call it a conduit of great and pure joy god brought you here on purpose so what i want to do then at the back of the scripture i want to give you four directives i'm calling it four directives for the for the diaspora and again it isn't just for those who've come from else because this is true for all of us and maybe some of us one day will move somewhere else so this is a good message and maybe you're here and you're not a christ follower you're not someone who follows jesus or loves jesus but you've been looking for purpose and meaning you've been working and earning money and buying houses and and all the clothes you want and you, your, your your life on instagram looks amazing but inwardly you know something's missing because you're looking for that sense of purpose maybe today in these words you will find some of that purpose so four directions number one the first one is this god's people were persecuted and again like i said many of us are in this room today from other countries because i won't call it persecution but there was a degree to where things where you come from weren't ideal to the point where you had to make a difficult choice stay in my homeland and suffer and by that your kids would suffer even more or courageously step up and leave my homeland for whether it's a period of time or forever and go and find better prospects somewhere else. Here's what I want you to know. Whatever the pain of the past is for why you came here, listen carefully, God did not cause it. God did not cause it. God does not cause injustice. God does not cause inequality. God does not cause war. It wasn't God that invaded Ukraine. People caused injustice. I know we've got many here from South America. My wife's in South America, so I'll speak briefly to this. South America is one of the richest, most beautiful, most amazing parts of planet Earth. And every person I meet from anywhere in South America are so full of joy and so generous and so welcoming. I mean, when you go to, like, for example, I went to Brazil one time, went to this poor woman's house, and all she had was a little bit of food left in her fridge. Without any hesitation... To the best of her ability, 
She put that food in front of me. She put in front of me all she had because that is the spirit of the people from that place. So why, is, why are things so difficult there? Because people take advantage of people. People kill people. People steal from people. People lie to people. People hurt people. God doesn't do this. And they go, well, well, okay, I agree with you, Pastor Jamie, so God doesn't, but why does God allow it to happen? Which you go, well, where do we draw a line? Either God gives us free will as human beings, or he doesn't. Because we can't conveniently ask God to take our free will away from us when it suits us. That's control. If we really want, as individual autonomous beings, true freedom, then we have to live with the consequences of that freedom. And in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, what they chose to say to God was, we don't need you. We're going to go our own way. I'll do my best not to sing that song. I'll go my own way. And God obviously was, was hurt and he was broken hearted. Like any parent that watches their kids leave on an unwise or unhealthy path. But like good parents, good parents don't control their kids. Good parents understand that, that their job is to prepare their kids as best they can, but they should never control their kids. God doesn't cause the hurt and pain in our world. People do. But God does use it for the good of the world, for the glory of his name. God doesn't cause the pain in our world, but he will use it. What an amazing message. This is one of the things that distinguishes Christianity because we're many world religions, and we covered this a few, months, a few weeks ago in our, in our uh, Problem of God series, where many religions and worldviews don't have an answer. Christianity enters straight and says, listen, Jesus is not a God who sits on high and every now and again glances down to see if we're okay. Jesus is an ever-present help in our time of need. The reason why, I'll give you a little bit of a, of a kind of a heads up for next week, the reason why we celebrate Christmas it's because it's at Christmas that we as Christ followers celebrate that God so loved the world, the messy, evil, broken, cruel, greedy, angry world that he came into it. Listen to me, come on, think of this. If you see something cruel, evil, greedy, and mean, what do you do? We avoid it. It's like, I don't want to get involved in that. We walk, walk around, we think, I'll go grab a coffee, get to the coffee shop. Someone's like losing their mind. You go, oh my goodness. Either you're going to Instagram it, you know what I'm saying? Oh, what's happening here? Or are you going to avoid it? But you're not going to get involved in it. We worship a God who came into our mess, who embodied our pain, who through his self-sacrifice on the cross can say to every human being in the world, I understand. Because I was betrayed and I was beaten and I was flogged I was publicly humiliated. I was murdered. I was buried. I died. But I rose again. God gives us purpose. And the Christian message shows us that even though bad things happen to good people, and that's just the normality of life. And if you think rejecting Christianity on that basis is a good thing, then my question to you would be, what, what, what do you believe in then? Because <laughs> if there's no God that can redeem your pain, then what are you going to do with your pain? Because it's real and we can't avoid it. Romans 8.28, the Apostle Paul wrote the same Saul, after encountering Jesus, wrote a letter to the church in Rome and said in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 28, and we know, watch this, that in all things, really all things? You're telling me that in my divorce? Yes. In my cancer? Yes. In my job loss? Yes. 
In me being a refugee, yes. As my country's been torn apart by war, yes. In my hopelessness, on my depression, on my brokenness, yes. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I've been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say, as some Christian preachers try to teach, which is wrong, that all things are good. There's a version of Christianity that's wrong that says, if you're really a Christian, everything that happens to you will be good. Okay, here's a very quick rebuttal of that. If that was true, then why, when it comes to the leader of our faith, did he suffer? And why would it say later on, Apostle Paul, anyone who is in Christ will suffer? Because our Christianity isn't a happy-go-lucky faith. It's a very real faith. That isn't just for mountaintop moments, but perhaps is most beneficial and most powerful when we're going through the valley of the shadow of evil. Come on, show appreciation to God for that. So what do we do when we find ourselves being persecuted? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the same Apostle Paul, different letter to a different church. He said, no testing has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. See, what the enemy does is he tries, tries to convince us that our struggle is, is, is ours alone and no one else knows what we're going through. What nonsense. More people in this room are struggling with the same things you struggle with that you'll never even know. It's common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tested, it should be, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will also provide a way out, watch this, so you can endure it. He's not a God that beams me up, Scotty, and just somehow cancels all the pain in the world. Because listen to me, if there's no pain, there's no love. Any married people here? Anyone want to say amen? Like if you don't actually have conflict and tension, if you don't have two people working together to create this one thing called a marriage, then where's the beauty of marriage? Just buy a device, an app, a software. Marry Alexa, for goodness sake. Why do we want something more? Because it's in that diversity of two people, something beautiful happens. Marriage, and eventually, hopefully, healthy kids. God doesn't pull us out of it. He gives us the resource we need so that we can endure it. Let me tell you something. If you're going through a storm right now, God has what you need. If you think you're tired and you can't continue anymore, God has what you need. If you feel overwhelmed and alone and abandoned, God has what you need. You know, Jesus plus everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And this is why I think the Word of God is so important. Uh, Because the Word of God... Uh, we're told gives us direction, gives us hope, gives us um, direction. <clears throat> Next slide, please. Why the Word of God is so important. Uh, there's a quote here from Edward Lewis Cole. It said, knowledge of God's Word is a bulwark. There's a great word. A bulwark. What's a bulwark? It's like a wall. It's like a, it's like a wedge. It's something that stops something from coming in. It's something that stops something from, from invading and overwhelming and taking total control. God's word, knowledge of God's word, is a wall of protection that, that helps us in, in, in our stand against deception, temptation, accusation, and even persecution. I don't know why you're here. God does. Whatever the pain that it took to get you here, God didn't cause it, but he will use it for your good and for his glory.
Number two, what else happened? Well, number two, God's people were propagated. What's the word propagate mean? We saw it in the text. They were scattered. Scattered. Everywhere I go in the world, I'll always be able to find an Irish pope. It's our gift to the world. Some people build hospitals. Some build universities. Some build bridges. You know, some work in healthcare. You know, so, but the legacy of Ireland is we go places, we build pubs. And it always amazes me where you find these pubs. A couple of years ago, I was watching Brazilian television with my wife and her mother and watching a documentary about the like, suddenly most tip of South America, like the very, very, very tip of South America. This Brazilian TV crew went all the way down there to find who lives in the last house, in the last piece of land at the tip of South America. And they walk up and knock this door, door opens, and guess who it is? It's the Irish! And I'm going, what the flip? Of all the places to go in the world, Hawaii, Barbados, I mean, Hawaii, why would you go to the southern tip of South America? Well, it turns out these Irish people loved penguins. I'm not even making this up. I'm like, of course, you know? There's something about, and what's so interesting though, is when you're traveling abroad and you find your people, it's a bit like home away from home, isn't it? I remember years ago, I was traveling around the, the Pacific, and I was coming home, and I had to fly into San Francisco, which is the west coast of America, to fly to Dublin, right, all the way across America. And I'd been out of, out of, out of, away from home for like two weeks, and I get in this plane in San Francisco, and I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, I just can't wait to get home. And this woman walks up and goes, hello dear, would you like a cup of tea? And I was like, thank you Jesus. I love my country so much. Yes, I'll have tea. There's something about that reconnection that's so special. Well, again, in the book of Acts, we're told that God's people were scattered because of the, because of the persecution. In Peter's book, 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, he opens his book saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Watch this. So what, who are God's like? To those God loves to those God calls, and to those who God has purpose for. But where are they? Scattered. To the chosen children of God who've lost home and family and prospect and, and careers because of the gospel. Hey, I know everything's going wrong, but don't forget you're God's chosen. To the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Britannia who've been chosen, here's the word again, According to God's foreknowledge of God the Father. Here's an ancient map. The region the Apostle Paul is talking about is most of, this is Turkey right here. This is Greece. So from Jerusalem, the people of God were literally dispersed all over these various provinces and nations. And this, this region here, Galata or Galatia, is where we get the book of Galatians. So Paul speaking to this, or Peter, sorry, is his group. I said, hey, don't forget that even though life and circumstance has dispersed you, God has called you. Now, what's so interesting is in 2 Peter, sorry, in 1 Peter, it should be 1 Peter 2, I think it was a typo here. In 1 Peter 2, 11, he says this. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, that should be 1 Peter, not 2 Peter. As foreigners, and exiles. So what he's saying is that even if you, as a Christ follower, haven't been dispersed because of your faith, ultimately, when it comes to our identity as God's people, 
when it comes to our national culture, our homeland, when it comes to the passport that we hold, our identity is not found in our kinship alone, but our identity is found in our place in his kingdom. See, as Christians, we don't carry a passport, but we have one. It's a passport for a heavenly home. The reward of our following Jesus' life. And even though, you know, I've got a, an Irish one, maybe you've got a Romanian one, or whatever passport you carry, and we, we thank God for diversity and culture, and we thank God for, like I said, when, when those things come together, something truly magical is created. In my case, children, four beautiful ones. You're welcome. Beyond that, our primary identity as Christians is found in his kingdom. And the posture we should adopt, even if we're Irish, is that even living in Ireland, we're foreigners and exiles. Which makes sense because, I don't know if you notice this, but being a Christian in 21st century Ireland isn't exactly the coolest thing in the world. Imagine being the leader of Christians. How terrible would that be? You have no idea what it's like when people say, what do you do? (laughs) I'm a pastor. You're a What? I'm a pastor. Like, you plaster walls. No, no, no. I, like, I work for a church and lead the church. Oh, so you're a priest. Oh, no, 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 no. So you're a Protestant. Oh, no, 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 no. What are you? That's a great question. It's not exactly easy to fit into culture right now as a Christian, right? Here's the good news, or maybe it's not good news, but it's news. It wasn't 2,000 years ago either. And the solution for us is to understand that although we love the place that God has put us, ultimately we will never fit in here. We will never be cool. We'll never be accepted. We'll never be the majority. We'll never be celebrated. We'll never be the thing that everyone wants to be. We will always be foreigners and exiles because just as they rejected Christ and crucified him, the Son of God, so they'll reject us as his followers and so in that as a sense of I suppose I'm trying to say it should comfort us it doesn't feel very comforting is it <laughs> this isn't because God has forgotten us this is a natural part of what it means to follow God the question is is as we're being propagated as we live in a culture as foreign what should we do number three we see in the text that God's people preached understand that wherever God has placed you whatever, I mean whatever street you live on Whatever place you work, whatever school or college you study in, whatever club you're part of, whatever social media thing you're involved in, wherever God has placed you today, he has put you there to preach the good news to a hurt world. Our world is hurting. Our world is broken. And politics can't fix it. And, you know, we have so much money in Ireland, money can't fix it. So many jobs in Ireland opportunity can't fix it there is one hope for humanity his name is jesus and this isn't just a side part of what we do so many people think oh we go to church and if we kind of if, if we if it works then we kind of tell people no no the central mission of the church was to preach the good news jesus said in matthew 28 verse 19 this is jesus speaking to his disciples therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit not 
coercing or forcing or manipulating people in, but just preaching, witnessing, sharing what God has done in us with the world. Now, because some of us would never have answered that call and left our country, God brought you here. You don't have to have a missionary status or be supportive financially to be a missionary to this country. I believe every one of you who is a Christ follower from another nation, God has brought you here as a missionary to this land to bring the good news of Jesus to these people. And in your working and in your earning and in your prospering, don't forget your purpose. Don't forget your purpose. You thought, oh man, I'm just coming to profit and make a way for my family. No, God blesses you and God honors you, but God brought you here to proclaim the good news. In the book of Acts 1, the whole book begins with Jesus again. He, this is Jesus after resurrecting. He's telling the disciples, I'm going to go to heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What's witness? Someone had seen, heard, or experienced something or someone. In Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to Dublin, and County Dublin, and to Leinster, and to Ireland, and to all the nations of the world beyond these shores. We are called to Jesus, to follow Jesus, in being people who preach about Jesus. Now God brought you here. Here's our beautiful wee island. It's called Ireland because it's our land. And even though you weren't born here, being Irish isn't a birthright. It's a spirit. And you can belong to this land. A bit of crack. Come on, somebody. A bit of crack, a good sense of humor. Fight for the underdog. These are all things we, we, we can get our hands around. But when it comes to Ireland right now, on this island, we have between thirty and 50,000 evangelicals total. There are churches in, a, in certain countries you've come from that have more Christians than this whole country. Between 200 and 300 churches. Some of you come from cities that had this many churches. And over 85% of them have less than 40 people in them. In fact, Ireland, by definition, is the most unreached English-speaking nation in the world. So you come to a service, band, lights, screens, popcorn, it's all cool. That's not why we're here. We're not here to put on a show. We're not here to entertain We're here because people need the hope and the healing and the help that comes from the gospel that is in Jesus Christ. And you go, well, why do you believe that? Because I wasn't raised a Christian. No one indoctrinated me into this. I was far from God. I hated God. I was actually a lot more like Saul than I was Paul. And then I met Jesus. And what I thought nobody could fix in me, he brought healing and restoration and redemption. He picked me up, he cleaned me up, and he gave me hope and help and a purpose. And so as a 17-year-old Irish dude, I was like, I'm going to give the rest of my life to telling the people in this island that Jesus loves them. That Jesus loves them. That there is hope and healing and help in the person Oh, Jesus, wherever God has placed you, God has placed you there to be someone that brings the good news to Jesus. Fourth and finally, what's the fourth part of the story? Verse eight, there was great joy. God's people prospered. I do believe God is good. I do believe that God wants to prosper us. And prosper means bless and bring good things in our lives. I do believe God is a good and heavenly father. But understand that God brought you, like we said, on purpose. 
And when you walk in that purpose, when you understand why God has brought you and what God's called you to do, then God will prosper you. I'll say it again. When you walk in obedience, when you're aligned to God's purpose for your life, then God will prosper you. Even far away from home, even with less than uh, desirable circumstances, even in the face of difficulty, even in the shadow of the valley of death, God will prosper you. One of those powerful examples of this, and we're going to pray, is found in the example of the exiles to Babylon. So long story short, the Israelites <coughs> decided to live, God, live life without God. And so the consequences of that was that they were invaded. And when they were invaded, particularly by Babylon, they basically came in and destroyed everything they had, the cities, the walls, the temples, took all, killed a bunch of people, took the survivors away as slaves in exile to Babylon. And there were these false preachers saying, oh, it'll only be two years, two years, and God will bring you back. And then God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and said, it won't be two years, it'll be 70 years. And then perhaps one of the most famous verses in the most famous chapters in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, God says this through Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon. Your country's destroyed, you've lost family, heritage, culture, history, and we've lost everything. But understand, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. If you're in this room today and you're not a Christ follower, you're not a person of faith, this is God's word for you. God loves you, has a plan for you, and God wants to give you a hope and a future. But as we think about the diaspora and what it means to us, we have to ask the question what is the context of this promise? And there's on the context, we're going to go back and read the chapter. It says in in Jeremiah chapter uh, 29, verse 4, he says that the place to which I brought you, he says, build houses. He says, plant gardens. Raise your kids up and give them away in marriage. Celebrate life. Have grandkids in that place. Because here's what it says in verse 8. Because as you seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you're in, as it prospers so too you will prosper. It's almost like what God is saying in Jeremiah, is I have plans to prosper you. I have plans to give you a hope and a future, but it won't be at the expense of the place that I brought you. It will be in conjunction with it. God's brought you here to help this place prosper. Because the more it prospers, the more Ireland can be a covering and a place of refuge for the hurt and broken in the world. And yes, we've got challenges with housing and jobs and all those things. And we'll, they'll always be there. Ultimately, God wants this nation to prosper. It can bless the peoples of the earth. But the greatest prosperity we can give the world isn't asylum status or a work permit or a place in the university. The greatest prosperity a man or woman can know is the life of Christ in their hearts. And when we believe, when we work, when we pray, pray and proclaim the good news the promise of eternal life in Jesus in our context the city prospers now again maybe you're pushing back and saying well, I don't really believe that because I'm not Christ well, hang on like think about this if people in power weren't just religious as in they call themselves Christian because a lot of that has gone on a lot of damage has been done in the name of Jesus and these people aren't how can you be a Jesus follower and hurt people it's, it's a direct contradiction Jesus loves serves the broken, does not take advantage of or abuse them. 
And if we had people who are actually following Jesus, people who are like him and love him, serving in our communities, can you imagine the impact in our world if our, our politics and our street corners were filled with people who their, their distinctive characteristic wasn't selfishness, but a selfless love that comes from Christ. Imagine how God could prosper a country like that. We see it in Acts 242, 246, 47. They, they enjoyed the favor of all the people and daily God added to the number of those being saved. The point is this. I believe that you came here because you thought I had to find a way to make a future. And I thank God that we have something to offer you in Ireland because so much of our history was the opposite. But beyond the opportunity, God brought you here on purpose. And my heart for you as a pastor is that you would flourish and that you would be in joy and joy would be in you and that you would walk out your extraordinary purpose and that as you prosper, your family prospers and your kids prosper and the, the community you live in prospers, the city prospers, as a nation prospers, people will come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. So understand that you are not like spare change that God lost on the side of his couch going, oh my gosh, what about so-and-so? God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Amen? This time we're going to pray.